Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Sporting Podcast, day two of the Ashes breakdown of the fifth test. A more traditional day of test cricket is, I think, the best way to define what just happened yesterday. Um, Australia worked really, really hard, England worked really, really hard, and in the end of the day, you feel that I think both sides are probably satisfied to to their own end but also probably regretful to their own end i think i think if you're going to give the test match i think probably 55 45 england's way or perhaps you can just say it's 50 50 because that's literally what it is in, in terms of the scorecard um getting to the scorecard the match situations is as follows australia all out for 293 in response to england sorry australia all for 295 in response to england's 283 conjuring a lead of eight, 12 runs in which Stephen Smith was the top scorer with 71, and Chris Wilkes the pick of the balls with 3 for 61. I think that there um, shows you that it's even Stevens, the sort of the 12 run um, margin between the two. I think the graft, it started instantly from the start and it was it was fascinating to watch the graft start right from the start. Um, England's first spell with Warden Henderson then backed up by Braun and Wokes before returning to Wood was relentless. They did not give Australia anything and Quadra and Labuschagne seemed stuck. The difference was that Quadra sometimes does seem stuck in his innings but he that's the way he plays. He's just waiting for that ball and he'll keep waiting. He's shown that he has the ability to keep batting for a long period of time. In fact, by batting more than a thousand balls which we shared um, in yesterday's podcast, um, first Australian balls, Australian Openers do that since Mark Taylor in a way at Asher series. It shows that he's willing to occupy the crease, and in fact, that is his game plan. Labuschagne, in the other end, he seemed stuck and he seemed not happy with being stuck. Um, in the lead up to Labuschagne's dismissal on uh, day two, Australia conjured up 30 runs in 17.5 overs, while Labuschagne was on nine runs of 82 balls in his innings. In my opinion, it was the lines that were so relentless. I don't think England, I don't think this was a spell of bowling where England were looking like they were going to take a wicket every ball. I think they were certainly challenging challenging balls there, but it just seemed that England were just stifling and, and, and sort of paralyzing the shot-making ability of, of, of a classy player like Marta Slamachine. Um, the lengths were perhaps a bit too short at times to induce the edge or, or trouble Labuschagne, but it also meant that they weren't over-pitching and giving them half volleys balls to drive. But I think the main part was that every single delivery was outside the off-stump. Um, no easy flick off the pads, no easy wide shots, no, no half-trackers, um, essentially no easy scoring options. These are Steve Smith's words at the end of the day press conference. He said the clouds were in, there was a bit of swinging around, they might have bought a little short, not giving us too many scoring options, they didn't give us many drives, so the guys were able to leave a lot of balls. And that's summing up what was just said. Um, not bowling that very, very attacking line, attacking line length, but having lengths that line, line, lines and length that were good enough to act as sort of limiters and um, stifle the England batters. And I, I just want you guys to sort of, I, w- I want to paint the picture, I want you guys to understand the ideology uh, behind this, because you, you can say, like, it, it's a bit paradoxical to the aims of the game, that you, know, you take a wicket, and how can you take wickets without attacking the lines? 
I'm not going to say England were deliberately aiming to bowl as sort of short, as as I guess defensive as they did in periods, but I think they realised with the start of the day where there were I think three three maidens to start off, um, and the start of the day just Australia were just quite slow. Then they realised at that stage that they are they have an opportunity to suffocate Australia. So Mark Wood and James Anderson did occasionally go for that from the ball, try to get that perfect good length onto seam away, um, but it's pretty hard to execute every ball, and you have to be on sort of full rhythm and to execute every ball. And if you're going to execute every ball, you're going to get a wicket anyways. So they ensured that as a bare minimum, they're not going to relent from their line and sort of misplace their length. It was that focus they had to not give anything away to Australia. And when you're not giving anything away from Australia, every ball feels like a contest because the bowler knows that, you know what, I'm over this guy. When's he going to go look for the score? I'm going to keep running in. There's that sort of satisfaction behind the grind coming in from the bowling end. And from Labashin and Quadra's end, there was sort of... I think it, it, it takes you into a defensive mindset, and I think that's what happened with the machine. He, he went into too much of a, a defensive bubble. Why? Because I think the pressure that England built, the, the relentless nature of England, so I think the credit has to be given to England. Um, and it was just, in my opinion, fascinating part, an aspect of Test cricket. It can't all just be held to skeleton baseball. Um, the, the the sort of the I, I guess per se the, the, the traditionalism, the the grafting, the hard work, still definitely has a place in the game. And then came Stuart Broad, as as usual, he inspired England. Broad housery was what the Guardian called it. Um, obviously, we had the bail moment, which I, I just found so comical um, uh, that it actually worked. Um, obviously, like I don't think him removing the bail was actually the cause of why Lavishin got out, but the fact that like it, it seemed like it was because it only happened the ball before, and then it's this great comical timing, uh, Romelu Lukaku-esque, I, I, I guess. But um, I think it was Stuart Broad with the ball that as usual inspired England. Obviously Joe Root with his catch, well, it was a great catch and it was a catch that they needed because I can just see it on the on the converse side of things where Mark Wood, Stuart Broad, Chris Wokes, James Anderson worked so ba- so hard for the start of the day. Mark Wood is now back for a second spell. They finally found Labashane's edge after suffocating him and he himself digging him, digging into a, a bubble or a hole and then Johnny Bairstow's sort of uh, lack of awareness, spatial awareness. Um, ensures that Joe Root has to basically desperately grasp with his one hand to take it and if it did go down or hypothetically Joe Root was not able to get to that you can just potentially feel uh, the demotivation from England's end and maybe the, the day gets away from them. It's a tail up test cricket. That's happened often um, and I could definitely see it going on so it was a very very important catch of grass from, from Joe Root's end but yeah I think we're still broad with the ball once again inspired England, he broke through his one quad just defensive. It was, it was very good length. It was an attacking line, just nipped back very late. Quadra perhaps lost control of his hands a bit more than he needed to. Um, LBW, and then he got Travis Head, which I, with, I thought was a very, very good ball because essentially the ball before he was a similar length, maybe a tad fuller. And Head, uh, as he does when he when he feels like the line length is there to hit, he, he sort of put his hands through it down the ground for four but this one was a bit wider and it just had a bit more movement of the scene perhaps the length was a bit shorter it wasn't exactly that half volley Travis head sort of caught him no man's end with his feet um and hesitation he didn't know where to play that knot he just sort of poked his hands out there and you could sort of hear or also just feel the oh no in his body language when he reached out and nicked off and still brought out two and two another double strike as he does th- this whole series while yeah he hasn't had that Typical Stuart Broad spell for, for a few years now, where he just rolls through oppositions. I think he's still been so inspirational, and the leader of England's attack, the backbone of England's attack, 
um, in the series when, when Ben Stokes leads wickets, he coasts to broad Edgbaston down day two, Labuschagne going for a duck second after getting David Warner, and then guess what? Um, second inning, Smith and um, Smith and Labuschagne again to give England a sniff here again. Uh, throughout that series, he's been the the salient feature of sort of England. Um, holding this bottom line together and getting the wickets where they need him to get the wickets. I think Joe Root has also been a very, very underrated and undervalued part of England's bowling attack. His his bowling average in this Ashes series is now 25.6. Um, that's the lowest for any English spinner in Ashes, minimum five wickets, since 1997. He is pivotal for England with the ball this series when they have needed him. And even sometimes he just stepped up with, with strikes when when you sort of really desperately need a wicket and you don't expect Joe Root to be the man to um, give you that wicket. Um, but in certain situations, he had to, he's had to step up. Um, the first test at Edgbaston with Moynihan, he could barely grip the ball. And obviously yesterday, because Moynihan was unfit, he was off the field for the whole day with his groin injury. Um, and I guess another example would be the crucial wicket of Labuschagne on um, the last day of, of the Manchester test, um, where it sort of gave him a little sniff before the rain dissipated and we hope uh, the double strike at the end of day one at Lords where you got Travis Head and Cameron Green and sort of gave England look into Australia's lower order which they, they, they sort of capitalised on with delight on the second day where they sort of bundled Australia out for a lower turn that it was looking after Stacey with the head had sort of taken the game away on, on day one um, and then again yesterday um, he got Alice Carey Pretty, pretty innocuous this whistle you'd have to feel and then he got back comes at the end um, but it's just the fact that he's able to give England these overs give this respite to the fast balls who would have been pretty pretty taxed after that first session because they worked really really hard in that first session and probably didn't get the the volume of rewards that they required only only the one wicket of, of Labuschagne it did come off lunch with a broad as we said um, but yeah I, I think Joe Root has been a, a very integral and pivotal part of England's sort of ability to just keep Australia in check throughout this series. There hasn't been that one batting day where just Australia has totally dominated. There is an aspect of domination from Australia, but England always somehow managed to pull it back to an extent. And I think Joe Root is a reason that's made him prefer because he keeps that bowling lineup sort of um, held together and he's that backup option in, in, in times of urgency and emergency. Um, He's just another option when you need another option in Test cricket. Steve Smith, look back to his full best. Um, I think for Steve Smith's standards, he hasn't had what he'd say the best Ashes series, but I still think he's had a pretty good series. 100 rewards was great. Um, obviously, Edgbaston um, probably wasn't the best Test match for him. Um, and obviously yesterday, the, I, I thought the 71 was, was a pretty solid knock. He just seemed very fluent. I mean, his bat swing seemed very good. I think his aggression was um, on point. I think he sort of led the way for Australia to show that there are balls out there to hit if the urgency is there. I think there was a, a half volley for Anderson. He drove down the ground, but then Anderson probably corrected a little bit, went a bit shorter. It wasn't a half volley by any stretch. He sort of just drove it down the ground on the up. It's a great shot, but it was that urgency to score, and I think that sort of leaned the way from Australia to show that, yeah, you got to graft, you got to defend, you got to leave, but the, 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 the main feature of cricket is to score runs um, at the expense of protecting a wicket, so you still got to look to score, and he looked to score, and I, I think that was a great part of, of his innings, obviously, that, that run-out was going to be debated. Um, I thought it was a very meticulous display of third umpiring, I, I think probably in, in terms of the rules, 
and uh, the technology, the angles and the resources that were available to the Third Empire, he did make the right decision. Um, but yeah, England probably felt that they didn't reap and extract all the rewards that they deserved. They probably deserved the hard bit they did to have Australia one up, I think, 230. 240 and actually come home with a lead around 40 to 50 runs but Todd Murphy and Cummins scrapped and Pat Cummins as he's as he scrapped all series with the bat he's been a sort of a, a very important part of ensuring Australia scrap out anything they can from the batting innings and to ensure that England don't run away with them and Australia I guess also stay toe-to-toe -to -toe with England which has been a storyline for for the whole series and I guess it's been a storyline of this podcast because I've been talking about what out your route and still brought ensure England stay a parity, but the people like Pat Cummins and Sean Australia stay at parity. And yesterday was also Tom Murphy. I love the way Tom Murphy batted. It was so impressive. The, the pull shots that he played off Mark Wood. It didn't look like it was hard. He did see. Actually, seemed like he was con controlling the pull shot. He had control of that sort of top hand and just guided it. Um, it showed great composure. It showed, I think, great skill, batting skill, and. Um, Especially being so young in his career and so inexperienced in his first class career, obviously I'm sure he's toiled it, um, toiled hard at the Australian grade levels, sort of in winter, working really, really hard on his batting skills, or maybe in times of injury when he has bowling hotspots, he might be working hard on his batting skills. But um, to do it at the highest level is, is another ball game because it's so relentless and it's, the pace of the game is, is quicker. Um, but to do it with such composure is, I think, one a testament to his temperament, which we talked about yesterday. Um, he his ability to sort of bounce back. Um, from adversity, but I think it just shows that he has he has batting potential in there, and there is batting skill to be sort of extracted out of Todd Murphy, and we could potentially see him uh, move to nine and eight um, in the in the coming years and be a, a, a sort of a, a pivotal gear in the lower order of, of Australia. But yeah, the Test match is even Stevens, and for me, has this whole series has just been so scintillating, but even this Test match has has so many grouping storylines. For me, obviously, the, the major grouping storylines, I think, just the contrasting styles of play. England, 283 all-out of 54.4 overs against Australia, 295 all-out, 103.1 overs, basically not really a lead, but 50 extra overs to get the same amount of runs. And it's going to be the same way Australia will graft and find and fight really hard in that fourth innings chase in England. Will go drive on the up, they'll play their um, pack away shots, they'll, any scoring option they can extract, they'll extract, they'll have those deep, they'll, they'll have those singles when Australia's field is a deep. Um, Australia's balls will be under pressure, but they'll also get wickets. England's balls will have to toil hard, but they will also be able to produce wicket taking deliveries. Um, and I guess uh, I think another, another feature worth noting. Um, and I think I got this from, from Craig and from so to credit them, that this is obviously an aging English attack with the likes of Stuart Broad, James Anderson, even Mark Wood now 33, Chris Wilkes has been around for a while, um, the spinners and Moyner and experience have been around for a while. They have spent just shy of three days extra in the field compared to Australia. Uh, England have fielded an extra 236.3 overs compared to Australia, and when you're going to the f the fine margins and nitty nitty gritty details, intricacies of such a closely fought series that could potentially be a difference on a fourth day, fifth day, when England are trying to restrict Australia from a target. Which, um, if Australia stay at it and do a good job tomorrow, um, they would love to ensure that the target doesn't get out of hand in the excesses of 400. Um, perhaps Australia probably want max 350, ideally in the range of 300. Then England will have to fight really, really hard and. Do they have the energy to have the final kick to that the final motivation considering the Ashes have finally have actually gone away from them? 
it's gonna be interesting but more testimony points on the line and, and as, as sort of the, this media storyline and the press conference storyline in the past week has been bragging rights and sort of you know to all feels like we won because we basically won the fourth test that sort of storyline um so that will be spurring the love of australia the craft and the motivation will come from the fact that a three one is on the line and you can hear my voice the test match is gripping i'll be back again tomorrow day three give me a follow give me a review give me a share give me some feedback be back again tomorrow Thank you.